Hello, I'm Greg Whitby, and thanks for tuning in to Blue Yonder Voices, where every month I sit down with a guest and talk about matters related to learning and teaching in today's world. Today I'm chatting with Emma Hassar. Emma is the Federal Labor Member for the seat of Lindsay in New South Wales and a former student of two schools in the Catholic Diocese of Parramatta. Emma is a champion for Western Sydney and is passionate about education. Welcome, Emma. Thanks, Greg. Thanks so much for having me. You've got a, a fascinating life story, I suppose all of us have, and um, perhaps an alternative school experience. Could you just share your schooling experience with us? School was less about the academic side for me. School for me, uh, certainly in, true in primary school, was more uh, a safety uh, haven, uh, a place to come where, you know, the walls of home weren't always fabulous. So school for me as a young person was, was quite a safe harbour. And I would hope that that would still remain true today for, for the kids that are coming through the doors. Um, I wasn't, you know, the best academic student. I certainly gave my teachers a run for the money, but I always tried hard and I always, you know, respected respected that I was there, respected that I had the opportunity to have an education, but it certainly looked very different to the kind of education that was designed for me. Yeah. Do you think sometimes we sort of stylize the learning in school with a, a particular understanding of what kids should be like? And I, so when a student like you presents, mm. you sort of, you described it, <laughs> you're giving the, the teachers a run for the money, but you certainly didn't conform to that. No, I was not a conformist and all of the teachers that had me over those uh, 13 or 12 years or whatever I was there for uh, would all say that I was a non-conformist. I remember at my all-girls school at Caroline Chisholm, uh, they wanted to teach me how to sew and cook and I just refused. So I stitched the middle of my sweater together um, so that no one could ever wear it and deliberately left the oven turned on 200 degrees when we were evacuated for a... Uh, fire drill, almost causing a fire, a real fire, because I just didn't want to be boxed into uh, sewing and cooking. I don't know what I wanted to be boxed into, but it certainly wasn't that. What would you have liked school to have been? I would have liked for my teachers at school to recognise some of the things that they couldn't measure with a test or with a paper. I was incredibly resilient, um, which is a word that, you know, we don't even talk about in schools. I was an analyst. I could see the bigger picture and look at the domino effect that something would have, the knock-on effect. I was incredibly vigilant and had, and I still do have outstanding empathy and compassion for people and for places and for things, but none of those things, none of those things are, are measurable on a NAPLAN. None of those things are what we put in the kids' school report and certainly not what we put our kids up on stage for. But those are the qualities now as a grown-up in the role that I've got that I think we undervalue the least, but they are the qualities that we need the most of in our society. Well, through just plain hard work and common sense, you've climbed the mountaintop, you're eminently successful, a, a member of the federal parliament, a mother of three children, mm. um, doing all that and probably more. The lesson for, for schools in that is what? The lesson for schools is that every child that comes through the door has got a special need. Every child, every student in every classroom uh, is an individual. Uh, don't make school a sausage factory. Don't put kids, you know, Pink Floyd's song, Brick in the Wall. Don't make it another place where we try and churn out 30 lives at the end of year six or year one or kindergarten that are identical. When we give a kid a paintbrush and we ask them to paint a house, don't be prescriptive about it. Let them 
paint that house how they see fit. You know, and if their handwriting's not great and they don't graduate to a pen licence, well, do away with the pen licences. I didn't get mine, uh, eventually got it, um, but my handwriting's okay now. I just want all of my teachers to know that my handwriting was fine, but as the last kid to get a pen handwriting lesson, that was terrible. And I think too much, it's too competitive for our kids and that we need to relax and let them play to their strengths. I tell my kids now and I tell all the kids that I come into contact with, you can't be good at everything and everyone is good at something. So try and find what it is in that kid that they're good at and really exploit it. Let them be passionate about it and let them engage in it as much as possible. You know, the other stuff's still important and they'll bumble through their way through that, but whatever their passion or whatever they're good at is, is where we should be really pushing them to go hard. Unlike the way you explained that you didn't complete Year 12 and you mm. didn't complete your degree, but you're very comfortable in your skin about that and you don't see it as a failure. What do you see it as? I did see it as a failure for a long time and carried a lot of shame about it. Um, in fact, when I ran for, for public office, I was like, oh, gosh, mm. this is quite confronting. How do I get around this? People want to see parliamentarians who are successful, who have had careers as barristers or doctors or, or whatever. And, and here's little old me that comes along. No Year 12 HSC under belt. I, I did get it through TAFE mm. and, and no degree on the wall. I think that I was busy doing other stuff. I was good being being busy at getting good at the stuff I was good at. And I don't see it as a failure. I see it as an opportunity to say, well, that wasn't for me. And actually that really does reflect what some of the rest of our population looks like. And if we want people in positions like mine, we have to elect people there who are real, who have had a real life experience and have a diversity of talents. Yes, I think we're lucky to have a voice like you that thinks like you in Parliament, which takes me right to the next question. In a future time, when you're in government and you're the Minister for Education, Minister what's your for policy agenda for us? Well, I want to see teachers more widely respected in the communities that they teach in. I think teaching is the most undervalued profession and the most criticised, the you know the, the, the go-to for people like me in positions like this is, mm. oh, the teachers need better training or, you know, there's no responsibility by governments to say we need to more investment um, or we need to do things differently. So when I'm the Minister for Education, if, if that uh, should ever, that honour should ever be bestowed on me, uh, I'd be looking for how we get society to talk more positively and openly and respectfully about our teachers, which will then impact on the kids that they're teaching, because we know that uh, the greatest predictor of a kid's success is actually how their folks and their communities talk about and in engage in their education. I'd like to see schools be utilise more. There's nothing more depressing than driving past a school on a weekend and the whole thing is just shut up. We've got those ginormous fences that keep everybody out, but we've got a wealth of resources in there. I want to see the schools and land that they sit on utilised more, whether that's to put before and after school care on site. I'd like to go backwards a little bit in time where we had, you know, the early childhood centres on site at school, where the school becomes an absolute hub for that community, which would make a difference in certainly a lot of communities that I represent in Western Sydney, but even more than that over, you know, in Mount Druitt and certainly in some of those multiculturally diverse suburbs where those parents can come in and really feel a sense of belonging to a community. Community schools are the hub of a community. You've named a lot of challenges there and it's easy to be pessimistic. Mm. The media is sometimes pessimistic about schools and what's going on. What keeps you optimistic? Because that's exactly what you are. 
What keeps me optimistic? I am an eternal optimist. I see the good absolutely in everything before I see the negative and I will try to fix it. I mean, Christopher Pine calls himself the fixer. I'm going to give him a run for his money. I don't often see things as well, the glass is half empty. There's, there's always a silver lining somewhere, even if it doesn't feel like it at the time. Every, every challenge, every hurdle brings us to something better or a new understanding or a new awakening, I guess, of whatever level that's on. It's a great lesson for all our politicians. Well, Emma, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on the work that you do. Thanks so much for having me. You can search for this podcast in the series by going to blueyonder.wordpress.com or subscribe to the blog for alerts. These podcasts can be found on iTunes and via your favourite podcast app. I'm Greg Whitby and you've been listening to Blue Yonder Voices. Mm -hmm.